May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. On New Year's Day, just three months ago, a strange thing happened in B.B., Arkansas. For no apparent reason, 5,000 red-winged blackbirds fell from the sky, died in midair, fell over a, a, about a one-mile square radius. 5,000 blackbirds. Uh, veterinarians were brought in, state veterinarians, to do autopsies on these little birds and to see um, what was the cause. There was nothing in their stomachs. There was no poison in their system. Um, they had suffered trauma, but not inconsistent with falling from the sky and landing on the ground. There were no um, fireworks shows that evening, although that was one of the explanations. Uh, there, were, um, there were no signs that the birds had been caught in an airplane through the jet or hit by a propeller. Just dropped out of the sky. A hundred miles from BB in Arkansas, on the very same night, 100,000 fish of a particular species died in a river, whilst other fish survived. Scientists once again, veterinarians once again, looked at these fish. No poison in their system, no explanation for why they just died. But wait, things get weirder. On January 4th of this year, just, you know, four days later, an incident nearly a thousand miles away from B.B. Arkansas in Baltimore, Maryland. In the Chesapeake Bay, two million fish of a particular species died for no apparent reason. January the 4th. And it gets weirder still. In Brazil and New Zealand, on the same day, Millions more fish died for no apparent reason. It's strange, isn't it? But I'm not done yet. On January the 5th, 50 birds fell from the sky over Sweden. Four continents, five days, thousands, millions of fish, thousands of birds fell from the sky for no reason. It's a little strange, isn't it? And you think this is probably the part where I get to the Mayan calendar or I start predicting a date for the return of the Lord? No, it's not. That comes later in the sermon. But for right now, I just want to say I thought that was really weird. Strange. Other strange things happen too in history and and maybe these are, are things that you hadn't known, and, and so I'll just give you a little bit. In 1821, a, stone, a Scottish stonemason, his name was David Virtue, um, had, uh, had been part of a, a group that had excavated a large piece of, um, of uh, limestone from the earth, 22 feet below, had, had, had raised this large piece of limestone, and he was, um, he was part of the, the team that was carving it into a grinding stone. Whilst he was cutting this stone out and, and chipping it away, he opened up this little cavity inside the stone, a little, almost like an air pocket. And it was the perfect shape of a small salamander-like lizard that was inside of this. It wasn't a fossil. The lizard was perfectly intact, its skin and everything. Geologists say it takes hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of years for these types of rock formations to form. Little salamander, inside a little air pocket, inside this huge piece of limestone, 
but wait. Mr. Virtue reached out to grab hold of this little this little salamander, and he sprang to life and jumped from the stone. It's recorded in a Scottish journal of science. You can find it um, in 1821, um, and I, I'll find you the, 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 the citation later. Another one, 1865, Hartlepool Free Press reported that another, this time in England, uh, uh, some stonemasons had excavated a large piece of limestone. They were, they were chiseling it apart. It was, it was buried 25 feet below the ground. As they began to, take it, uh, to, to uh, carve it out or whatever, uh, the mason found an air pocket, and inside this air pocket, a toad, perfectly preserved. Not a fossil, his skin and everything. And when they touched it, its eyes began to move and it sprang to life. Inside a piece of limestone that may have taken millions of years to form. I'm not done yet. In 1976, in Fort Worth, Texas, uh, some construction workers had poured concrete. They, um, they had to take this concrete apart a year later. And so they were busting it apart when they discovered, you guessed it, a little pocket. And inside this little, this little cavity, a small green turtle, still alive. All of these had been in these, these uh, stone in, uh, enclosures the shortest time a year, maybe many, many, many years without food, water, or oxygen. And they survived. And no one knows how. It all adds up to what I think is a very weird world. We think we know a lot, but we don't know everything. Can I give you, can I sweeten the pot? Will you bear with me in this just a little bit and tell you one more story? I'm going to tell you whether you want it or not. <laughs> I'm driving down the road five years ago in rural Pickaway County with my oldest son. It was about um, 8.30 at night, late summer. The sun was just setting. I had um, I had just preached to a, a teen revival kind of setting, and I had worked all day in the, in the university, so I was a bit on the weary side, 8.30 at night, heading home finally. And um, I'm driving down the road, and um, my son was content to just sit in silence and not and be in conversation, which isn't unusual for him. And so we were probably listening to the radio or something and driving, and I was doing what dads often do, kind of zoning out a little bit and not really paying attention. When up in the sky, about, I would say, um, about 50 feet off of the ground, okay, this bluish-green light appeared and then shot from one side of the road to the other. It took about two seconds for the whole thing to happen. If you ever saw the NHL where they put that little blur on the back of the puck to kind of help you see the puck trajectory, that's exactly what it looked like. Bluish-green light in the eye, shot across the sky and disappeared. Two seconds, it was all over. Of course, I thought these were the beginning signs of a nervous breakdown, and so I said absolutely nothing and just kept driving. And about three or four seconds later, my son said, Dad, did you just see that? I'm assuming that for about the same three seconds, he was thinking the same thing was happening to him. Did you just see that? I did. What was it? I have no idea. We live in a really weird world. We think we know a lot. And in fact, we do know a lot. We have put men on the moon. We've put a remote control car 
on Mars. I can't get a remote control car at 1472 Amboy. But somehow NASA gets one up on the moon, if you know my love for remote control cars. We have built ships larger than the Empire State Building and put them out to sea. We can land airplanes on ships in the middle of the ocean. Airbus built an airplane that is 283 feet long. It has a wingspan of 261 feet. It stands eight stories at its tallest point. And they can fly that thing 40,000 feet in the air. I don't know how. Amazing acts of scientific knowledge. But the world, with all of our know-how, with all of our ingenuity, with all of our clear thinking, is filled with mysteries, filled with enigmas. But here's what really bothers me. I sleep at night not worrying how a toad got in a piece of concrete or how a lizard got in a piece of granite. I don't worry about that. I, I, I don't lose sleep. I don't even know what that little blue light in the sky was. But I somehow went to sleep that night and have slept every night since. Here's what bothers me. Why is it that the God of the universe at times seems so very capricious? Why does he act in some circumstances and not in others? Why does he answer some prayers exactly the way we want, in just the right amount of time, perfectly, as if it was orchestrated from you know, our own prayers, and at other times not? In John's Gospel, we have an interesting story today. Jesus and his friends hear a, hear a news report. Your, your close companion, Lazarus, the one that you love, the, the, his sisters, Mary and Martha, you love them too. Lazarus is really sick and they, they, he's, he's about to die. If you, if you had your, your bulletin and, and looked at it, you would see that, um, that with, at, towards the end of it, um, this says that uh, in verse 5, I had the verses marked, I don't know how, what happened to them. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He loved them. The word uh, here is agape. He has this, this deep, passionate love for them. He loved this family. Mary is the one who, who washed Jesus' feet with her tears and, and dried them with her hair. Jesus loves them. Which is why it's really interesting what He does or doesn't do. Well, there's another part. He says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Here's the sticky wicket, though. He gets news that a friend, someone he loves, someone he cares about, is near death. What does he do? Let me just tell you, um, about a week ago, 10 days or something like that, I got a call at 3 o'clock in the morning. When you're, when you're a pastor and you get a call at 3 o'clock in the morning, when you're a dad who has a son in college, you know, and you get a call at 3 o'clock in the morning, you know, my heart just, just sank. And it was a call about, uh, about a person, a friend of mine here in Hudson, who wasn't well and there was some concern. At 3 a.m. I got this call. At 3.03, I was in my car. Okay? At 3.08, I, you know, I was 80 miles an hour. I always wanted to see how fast the car would go, 0 to 60. Um, right down the middle of, of, of Darrow Road, heading downtown, on two wheels as I went around the corner. At, by 3.06, 3.07, I was at my friend's house. You see, that's what you do when someone you care about is sick or in need of help. That's what you would do if you got a call that said, Hey, your, your rector's in trouble, you know. 
You better, okay? You get over there, right? You get in the car. You, you, well, you get dressed first, you know? You get in the car. I was in my Cincinnati Red pajamas, you know? Baseball season has begun. And, and, and yet I was there. That's not what the text says that Jesus did. Verse 6, So when he, that is Jesus, heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That's not jumping in your car. That's not jumping on your camel. You know, um, that's not putting on your sandals and, and, and huffing it. It's not rushing at all. And listen, it's not just coming from someone you think might be a little bit cynical and jaded. You're worried about me right now. Look at the text. It's in the text. When Martha heard that Jesus came to him, she ran out. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary didn't even come out. They had to go get Mary. They went and got Mary. Jesus wants you. Mary comes out. She says verbatim what her sister said. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You know the real difference between calling Joe Boyce at 3 o'clock in the morning and calling on Jesus at 3 o'clock in the morning? He can actually do something besides call the ambulance, you know? <laughs> there can be something that actually happens. He can make a difference. If only he had been there. He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. You know, don't get up, Jesus. You know, don't, don't hurry. And that's the rob, isn't it? The Lord could have saved the Lazarus. The people even say, you know, isn't this the guy who's done all these great things? If he had been here, they say exactly the words, right? This man would not have died. But we know that Jesus loves Lazarus. We know that he's passionate about his love for Lazarus and Martha and Mary. And so his delay, I think, should not be interpreted as apathy. The fact that he does not act immediately should not be interpreted as apathy. You know, the shortest verse in all the Bible, uh, the translation in, in, the, in the bulletin is, is not the same that I have. In mine, as in the old uh, authorized version, what do we have? Verse 35. Jesus, oh, you know the Bible, don't you? <laughs> Jesus wept. He burst forth in sobbing tears. You know, a lot packed in that one little word, wept. It's not, it's not the trickle of tear you know, that comes through the, the tough facade. It's not that at all. It's the, I don't care who's looking at me, I'm crying anyway because I love this person kind of cry. The one that you can't hold back the tears. The uncontrollable pain and agony. Whatever else this text says to me, it says this. Insofar as Christ reveals the Father, which John has gone at great pains to say Jesus has done. Insofar as Christ has revealed the Father, we see this. We see a God who, while enigmatic to us, is not unmoved by our pain. He enters into our pain. He enters into our suffering. We matter in God's economy. He cares about us cares about what we care about. What's more than that, our suffering is not meaningless. I'll remind you, the story ends with a miracle. The dead one lives again, doesn't he? Hey, that's our story too. 
That's going to be our story too. Those who are dead are alive again. I believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. That's our story. So a lot remains inexplicable to us today. But we have this hope that our suffering isn't final. It's not the last word. Who knows? We might even find out what happened to those birds in Arkansas. Amen.